the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Understanding the debt that we are looking to be forgiven of and how to forgive others for their debts towards us. That's the subject of today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Join us. Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. The key is found in understanding this word debts and debtors, isn't it? Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We continue our survey of the Lord's Prayer today, taking a look at this fifth petition. We would invite you to join us as we examine it together. Here once again now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace is Pastor Gary Wagner. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, acknowledging that we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin, and thereby become debtors to the justice of God, and that neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt, we pray for ourselves and others that God of His free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin. Accept us in His beloved. Continue His favor and grace to us. Pardon our daily failings and fill us with peace and joy in giving us daily more and more assurance of forgiveness, which we are the rather emboldened to ask and encouraged to expect when we have this testimony in ourselves, that we, from the heart, forgive others their offenses. Now we saw last week that question 194, reflecting scripture, gives us three reasons why we should pray this petition. And last week we actually only had time enough to look at the first reason. Which, like the other two reasons, lies at the very heart of the gospel. You can't really even effectively pray the fifth petition without believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first reason for us praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is that we and everyone else are guilty both of original sin and actual sin. Both the New Testament and the Old Testament are unequivocal regarding the sinful condition of every single human being. We are all sinners. We have all transgressed God's law. We all stand guilty before God and are under His condemnation, were it not for the salvific work of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, Adam, the first man, was the covenant representative of all mankind, which was established by God himself. Whatever Adam did, he acted for all the rest of us, and we, uh, therefore, experience the consequences of. 
Adam disobeyed God, and because he was our covenant representative, we inherited a sinful nature. And now every single aspect of our life is tainted with sin. Our natural tendency is to serve our will and our sinful desires rather than the will of God. And unless, by the grace of God, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be condemned throughout all eternity. And you see, that is why we need to pray the fifth petition. Because we and everyone on this planet are guilty of original sin and actual sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, we need the forgiveness of our sins and should pray this petition every day of our lives because every day that we sin, our sins alienate us from God. We must plead the covering of the blood of Christ who gave up his life as our new representative, the second Adam, the God-man, who nailed our sins to the cross of Calvary, never to be brought against us again. There is a second reason for praying the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and that is that we and everyone else are debtors to the justice of God. We and everyone else that has ever lived and ever will live are debtors to the justice of God. Because of our guiltiness before God, for transgressing and disregarding His law, all human beings are debtors to the justice of God. God's justice demands that all sin be punished, for the wages of sin is death. When everything is said and done, at the very end of history, not one sin that has ever been committed in the history of the human race will be left unpunished. Let me say it again. When all is said and done, not one sin that was committed by any human being in the entire history of the human race will be left unpunished. It will either be punished for God's people in the Lord Jesus Christ, or it will be punished for the unbeliever on Him in hell for an eternity. In other words, beloved, sin is a real debt. It is an insult to God's holiness. It's a violation of God's law, and it makes us deserving of eternal punishment. We owe God, as I said last week, two debts. The debt of complete obedience to God's law and wholehearted love for Him. We failed in that obedience and in that love. Therefore, God's law denounces us and threatens us with eternal punishment. So we owe God the debt of never-ending punishment. In other words, you and I should earnestly and faithfully and perseveringly pray the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer continually because we cannot pay the debt that we owe to God. And beloved, if that debt is not fully paid, we will perish eternally in our sins under the curse of God. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And without forgiveness of sins, every day of our lives 
Scripture says we are storing up wrath for, our say, for ourselves in the day of the wrath of the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So why should we pray the fifth petition? Because we and everyone else are debtors to the justice of God. And then there is a third reason we ought to pray the fifth petition. Neither we nor any other sinful person can make the least satisfaction for that debt. Neither we nor any other sinful person can make the least satisfaction for that debt. In other words, we cannot pay even the smallest portion of it. Human beings cannot in any way, in and of themselves, make themselves right with God, or get right with God, or in the least, satisfy God's justice for the debts that they owe Him. Now, think with me for a minute God's thoughts after Him as they've been revealed in His Word. What determines how wicked a crime is? Think now. If you're a judge and someone commits a crime, what determines the wickedness of that crime primarily? It is the value of the life against which the crime was committed. In other words, you're driving down the road and you hit a squirrel. And you're arrested and you're sentenced to death. Remember, after all, squirrels do have value. And then I drive down the road and I deliberately drive off the road and I kill a child. And I simply get a year's probation. Is there anything just about that? No. But why? Because the life of a child is much more valuable than the life of a squirrel. How do we know? Because man was created in the image of God. And the value of human life means that the killing of a child is far more heinous and far more wicked than the death of a squirrel. Now what determines the severity for which you punish a crime? How do you know how you're supposed to punish someone and how severe you're supposed to punish them for their crime? The heinousness of the crime determines the severity of the punishment. The, hein the more heinous and the more wicked the crime, the more severe the punishment. And the more valuable the life, the more heinous the crime, the more severe the punishment. Now the Bible says this, a lot more simple, and it says it with great imagery. In Exodus 21, 23, it says, But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as penalty, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, beloved, that is not a literal statement. It is simply an old Testament way of saying that the punishment must fit the crime. And that's why our debts are eternal. That is why it would take us forever to pay back God the debt we've got because God's person is of infinite value. And we've insulted Him with our sin. We have violated His law. We have sinned against His holiness. And that makes our sins of infinite wickedness and heinousness. And the only just way to punish some such crimes 
is by an eternity in hell. So you can see, we cannot even begin to satisfy the debt that we have with God. We've lost any ability to obey God perfectly in this life and any punishment we must endure would take an eternity to pay. So the psalmist is exactly right when he says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you just remember one iniquity, Lord. I'm not talking about a lifetime of my iniquities. If you hold just one of my sins against me, that is of such infinite heinousness that it will take an eternity in hell to pay the debt that I owe you and to pay the punishment that would be just for me to be punished with. If a sinner is to fully pay the debt with God, he would either have to give God a lifetime of sinful obedience, which we all know, of course, is impossible. Or he would have to suffer the total punishment of God's justice, which would plunge him into the abyss of endless misery. And if he thinks... He can escape the execution of God's justice. Or if he thinks that God will relax the demands of his justice against him, he is a fool. For as the book of Job says, there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So nothing remains but to beg our heavenly judge to overlook our sins without demanding any satisfaction for them. But for the judge to do that, it would have to be an, an act contrary to his own holy and righteous nature and would so blemish his perfections that he would cease being God. So what about an intercessor? who can effectively plead the case of the sinner and appear in the court of heaven on the sinner's behalf. Well, there is no intercessor able to atone for our sins and satisfy God's judgments and the demands of his law by having our debts placed to his account to give full satisfaction for them, except for one person. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has obtained our redemption and the forgiveness of our sins through his own blood. And not one person on earth can take encouragement from what I have just said and what he has done unless he comes to God for forgiveness through faith in him. You can believe all you want to that there was an historical moment when the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. But you must go to him for yourself and say, my only hope is that you died for my sins. I not only believe there was an historical event that truly took place, Lord, but I come to you praying that your death covered my sins as well. And that brings me to a great quote by an old Calvinist of the 17th century named Valhelmus R. Brockle. Listen carefully. It's a long paragraph, but it's a moving exhortation to every one of us particularly those of us who live in this culture with our easy believism and synthetic Christianity. He says, Beware, O sinner, whoever you are, for God is just.
Do not think that you will be able to satisfy God by praying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or by doing your best to refrain from doing evil and to practice virtue. To think such a thing is to be on the broad way that leads to eternal destruction, which causes millions of people who live under the ministry of the gospel to perish. The justice of God cannot be compromised in the slightest degree, and of necessity demands the punishment of the sinner. God cannot deny Himself, and thus grace does not negate His justice. Grace is not incompatible with justice, but confirms it. This is the grace of God, so highly exalted in His Word that God, without finding anything in man, He has, contrary to His deserts, given His Son as a surety, as a substitute. He transferred the sins of His people from their account to His, and by bearing the punishment justly due them for their sins, satisfied the justice of God on their behalf. This is grace. That God offers Jesus as surety, as a substitute in the gospel. It is grace when God grants favor to a sinner to receive Jesus and to entrust his soul to Jesus. It is grace when God converts a sinner, granting him spiritual life. It is grace when God permits a sinner to sensibly experience his favor. It is grace when God sanctifies a sinner leading him in the way of holiness to salvation, end quote. In other words, don't think that whenever you say or pray or do anything right, that it is for the purpose of trying to satisfy God enough to get him to forgive you of your sins. Lord, come into my heart. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to keep from sinning so much. I want to live a perfect life so that in some way or another, I can pay the debt that I owe you, at least somewhat, to at least find some measure of favor with you. Beloved, no matter how sincere your prayer, to ask God to be your Savior, no matter how sincere your efforts to live a virtuous life and to avoid evil, if the ultimate goal is to try and buy off God and to atone for your sins and to try and satisfy and make up for your regrets of the, the regrets of your life, it means nothing. Because God is just and our sins are of such infinite debt that the only person who can satisfy God for them all and pay the entire debt without himself perishing eternally is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved, do not presume upon the justice of God. Don't think there is anything you can do to satisfy God. Don't think that he will ever relax his justice for your sake. Well, God, you know, I've, and I've made this little deal. I'll just simply put a little more on the offering plate and he'll let me get away with this one. God's justice is inflexible. There are no special cases. You must cast yourself upon God's mercy declaring that he is just. And when you cry out to God to be merciful upon you, a sinner say also, God, you are just in condemning me. 
You are just in everything that you say about me. You have no obligation to save me. My only hope is that you would have mercy on me because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I cast myself on that mercy as my only hope of salvation. If you have not done that, beloved, I encourage you to do so before you leave this building today. Well, those are the reasons for praying the fifth petition. Let me spend a few minutes now talking about the three prerequisites for praying forgiveness of our debts. Last week I asked, how in the world can a sinner with a straight face say, God, forget all my sins, cancel them all out. I know I deserve your wrath, but just forget it. How in the world can a sinner ask that? Well, it's because of these truths. One is the free grace of Almighty God. Two is the obedience and the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And three is the necessity of faith in Christ. You see here again this petition, forgive us all our debts as we forgive our debtors, is meaningless apart from the gospel. It is only because of the gospel that human beings can dare say anything with the confidence that God will blot out their iniquities. And what are the three things that lay right at the base of this petition, without which this petition would be audacious and blasphemous if we were to dare ask God to cancel out our debt when we don't deserve to even have the least of our debts canceled? They are, first of all, Number one, the grace of God. Listen to Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified is a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Christ Jesus. Now what we learn there is that without the free and sovereign grace of God, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Now, what do we mean when we say God's free grace? Well, listen carefully. God was under no obligation to provide salvation from sin. No obligation whatsoever for us as sinners. In perfect justice, God could have sentenced every single one of us without exception to eternal perdition, and He would still be just as loving and just as kind and just as gracious as He is now. We just never know it. But God sovereignly and graciously chose to save a vast portion of the human race, all their sins, through Christ. And that choice was His free, sheer, unmerited, undeserved, unearned grace. Our text says that although all of sin comes short of the glory of God, nevertheless all believers in Jesus are justified as a gift by His grace. Now in that phrase, as a gift, I want you to notice something. It can also be translated freely. Let me tell you how it's used first in John 15, 25. Jesus uses the word Dorian there, and he says, they hated me without a cause. They hated me freely. 
There was no cause in me. There was nothing in me, says Jesus, whatsoever that should make them hate me. They hated me without a cause. Now let's translate it that way in our text, Romans 3.23. For all have come short of the glory of God, being justified without a cause by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, without a cause. The point is, there is nothing in you or me, either in our character, our motives, or our behavior, that would cause God to forgive us nothing, absolutely nothing. There is nothing in us that makes us worthy or deserving of justification. Salvation is by grace alone. It is a free gift. And that is the glory of the gospel, my friends. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 